What's Your Bliss, part of the Anything But Credible Network. My name is Thomas Ragland, and I am delighted to be coming back to you another week. I'm very excited about my guest today. Uh, my guest this week is the host of the Racing Insiders podcast, Kate Dillon. Kate, welcome to the show, and what's your bliss? Well, thank you for having me. And my bliss is being an entrepreneur and being able to start new projects. I just opened a new location, and that's been really exciting for me. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to jump into all of that. Uh, what led you to kind of finding that entrepreneurial spirit and to starting your own business from scratch? Well, uh, that's a great question. It's it's funny. I always had side gigs. I just always had to be doing something else. Um, funny thing is I have a degree in interior design and I worked in commercial architecture and commercial interior design. But I grew up, my dad was a race car driver and my dad and my brother were having a trade show in North Carolina. I was living in Idaho and I came, I moved back to help my family with the trade show. And then I just had this idea. I guess I, I was never one of those people that said, you know, oh, I don't want to have a boss. I want to work for myself. I was never like that. I just had a really good idea and I decided to run with it. And I, I guess what I really like about the kind of concept of an entrepreneur is that an entrepreneur will jump off a cliff and then decide how to build the plane on the way down. And I would say that that's exactly kind of the route that I've, I've taken. If I have a good idea, I just run with it. And some things work and some things don't. And it is what it is. And you just kind of take that beating and then move on to the next thing and just don't stay there. I, I really love the analogy of trying to build the plane on the way down and just that that idea of kind of taking life as it comes and also exploring all the possibilities kind of once you're in it and, and really kind of taking the leap. Uh, tell us a little bit about your business and and what you know what success that you've had and and also I'm I'm always curious and I've been asking a lot of my guests this, you know, any uh, times where that has not been successful and kind of what you learned from that. Great. Yeah. We started the business. My main business is CrateInsider.com and I sell race car parts online. And for anybody outside of racing, when you think Crate Insider, it's like, what, what are you inside boxes <laughs> or, you know, shipping pallets? I mean, what are you doing? But in the industry, there are things known as the built engines that are built by an engine builder. But about 12 years ago, GM came out and said, Hey, we know racing engines are expensive. So we've got this this particular engine, just a regular Chevy engine that you guys could pop into race cars. Well, it literally comes in a crate. So then they became known as crate engines. And, and that's been used now for basically any kind of any engine or parts that come from a dealership or, or from a you know, like Ford or Dodge or whatever. If it's if you're buying an engine, a lot of times it's known as a crate engine. But in the racing industry, it's known as crates. And uh, so that's that's how I um, I was doing the trade show. And I was seeing that there were all these racers and nobody was serving that market. So when you looked at magazines, those magazines were all about the really higher end kind of racing and nobody was specifically serving this, this market. So if you think about it, even in the elite status of, of just, you know, the world that we live in, this is the, these are the grassroots guys. These are the guys, the guys that have crate engines. This is a you know, anywhere from a four to $6,000 engine compared to 30 or $40,000, obviously a big, big, big price difference. But, you know, when people ask me about selling parts, they're like, oh, like NASCAR or Formula One. And I'm like, that's like a hundred guys in the whole world. 
Right. I'm the other 50,000 yeah. guys that are racing at your local racetracks and nobody would literally, nobody was serving that market specifically. Mm-hmm. And so that's why um, we went into that. And then that business has spawned just all kinds of different little side projects and this things that I get interested in. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about uh, those side projects that have, have spawned from that. I'm, I'm very interested <laughs> well, in a lot of that. Yeah, well, a lot of people have seen my entrepreneurial journey or or when I put out my website coming from a design background, I'm not a web designer. And in fact, the I started my business with less than nothing. I charged the web guy's fee on my credit card. And halfway through the project, he was like, yeah, um, I've done as much as I was going to I'm going to do. So I had a half finished website. I didn't know anything about websites and I figured it out. So I kind of have this, I'm kind of an anti-website kind of a web guy, kind of a person. And, but I had this great looking website and other manufacturers started to take notice because even though I think it's because in racing, we don't have a lot of computers. We're still using carburetors. So there's that analog to digital kind of analogy. So a lot of the companies are going to have these older websites. And I was getting noticed by some of these manufacturers and they're like, well, what do you suggest we do? And I gave them some advice and they're like, yeah, can you just do it for us? And I was like, I suppose I could. So I started building e-commerce websites for other businesses. And like I created a course at one point and and then, uh, it, then I started my blog, my personal blog, katedillon.com, where I talk about just kind of random stuff. I bought talk about entrepreneurship and e-commerce and the things I buy. But I, I think one of the one of the most interesting side projects is the fact that during coronavirus last year, I, I don't know if that's uh, you know what's that really allowed on your show there, but during coronavirus. Um, my boyfriend and I, he's an engine builder. And so we're actually partners in this business. And he's, he's one, we don't live together. You know, we have our, we're adults, we're, we have our separate lives, but we come together <laughs> sure. on certain things. Well, when all the restaurants shut down, he started coming to my house. He just texted me and said, Hey, come to your house after work. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so, you know, we, we, you know, we go out, you know, two or three times a week, you know, we sure. see each other quite a bit, but we're not attached at the hip kind of people. So after about three days of him coming over after work, uh, we are just like, we ran out of things to say. We're just sitting here with our iPhones, you know, pay, playing our little app games. Mm-hmm. And I've actually had a live, I do, a, I've been doing a live show on Facebook since 2018. I do a live show every Tuesday. I call it Top 5 Tuesday. So I already have like a live engagement off audience with my, you know, live engagement with my audience. Right. So we just decided on a Friday night, you know what, let's just turn the camera on and let's just start talking to our people. Well, that then we just did it again on Saturday and then we just did it again on Sunday. And it was like, you know what, we should maybe make this a thing. And I already had racing insiders podcast. And I had this idea you talked about what ideas don't work. Well, I had this idea that I was going to interview like the, some of the people in the industry that maybe how they started their companies. I wanted to get some of those, like kind of those Steve Jobs stories, those, okay. you know, Hey, I started in mom's basement or a friend's garage. I wanted to get those kind of stories, but the reality is when you have projects that are just kind of pet projects versus projects that generate income or generate revenue, it, it's really hard to yeah. put resources in there. So I already had, like, I had the podcast, I had the website, I had, I had all those pieces, 
then it was like, well, wow, I legit have something now. And so we actually go live and we stream now I've expanded and we do StreamYard software. So I'm, I'm actually live streaming to both Facebook and YouTube at the same time we take on live questions. Because while I do sell race car parts and I do know a lot about the products at this point, I'm not an expert when it comes to those really tech questions. So sure. truthfully, my podcast would not apply to most of your audience because it can get a little techy. But we also we shared every bit about our politics and our, you know, our feelings about the world and, and everything else. And it's been the best thing that we could have ever done. Because there are people that have commented and said, you know, hey, wow, if you talk about the election one more time, I'm just not going to listen. I came here for race car parts and, you know, you guys suck. Well, okay, sorry, Chris, Um, you're going to vote yourself off the island. You know, the people that that hate us walk away. But the people who love us really, really love us. And it's made a tremendous difference. I mean, we wanted the connection. That's what we wanted. But people now, they know exactly who they're dealing with. And we've got that authenticity. And it's because of that, it's increased both of our businesses because they have an engine building business. And of course, I have Crate Insider. And it's it's increased both of our businesses and really, really connected with our audience. They feel like they know us. It's the best thing we've ever done. That's amazing. And it really sounds like it is one of those you talked about those stories of just starting in your garage and it really was one of those like hey what what are we doing let's just let's just play around with this and all of a sudden it just blows up and into something it sounds like like you have a really fervent audience who who really enjoys that which is great um you mentioned when you started that you were kind of just playing around every day is there do you have a set day that you're doing streaming or is it pretty much every day now um, no, we do it um, every Sunday at 530 Eastern okay. is when we go live. You know, sometimes the life events happen. Like my nephew sure. was graduating from high school and I had a graduation party to go to this last Sunday. So it's not like we're not dedicated, but you know, if there are, you know, there's life happens as well sometimes, but yeah, now we have a dedicated every Sunday at 530 and we're, you know, and, and generally too, like we're sitting there, we're having a beer, you know, it's, right. it's meant to be, it's, it's just like, you know, like you and you and I are over coffee right now, but you know, if we were over a beer, it's the same kind of thing, just talking to your friends. I think what you said though, is that sometimes life happens and so it doesn't it's not always going to happen you know uh kind of uh, religiously so to speak but i think it sounds like that's your your audience not only understands they expect life happening this is about life this is that's how it started was like the two of you living your lives and coming together to kind of put that together so i I think that that's probably something that people would i I assume your audience is like really flexible (laughs) on that too they are. They are. They understand. And it's and it's not they know it's not out of slackness. It's not a well, I just you know, it's it's not like the inconsistency that one can have when sure. you have a YouTube channel and you're like, I want to publish every week. It didn't quite get there. It happens. Um, but but no, they understand and just maybe put up a notice or something. And and we've been pretty consistent. So now, I mean, we're a year into that podcast. And, wow. and it's a, yeah, it, it's been it's been absolutely fantastic. That's awesome. On back onto kind of racing parts and 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 really getting into 
what it sounds like is the family business. Uh, I, I just have a couple of kind of follow-ups on that. The first was, you know, how did your family feel about, you know, you kind of starting on that journey? It sounds like you had maybe a plan to go one way, but it, you know, that obviously took a, took a different turn. How did, how did your family kind of respond to, to all of that? Oh, it is the coolest thing ever because yeah, my, my dad, he actually built race chassis when I was growing up, but, but I do have to say like, I was a girl and my dad's more traditional. So the, the really, whether it's irony or, or whatever, but the fact is I've actually never even changed my own oil. I understand the concept of it, but it's nothing I've ever had to do. I did know how to change a tire, but that was, that was about it. So dad kind of kept me apart from the, you know, the really getting involved with how to do race car things. I don't, I didn't know anything about like that, but my brother, he has a racing business as well. And he does the wraps for race cars. And now he's also, my dad was doing t-shirts for, for racers. Now my brother does that aspect. And then my brother and I talk about another side gig, um, a coronavirus fallout, but there's a giant trade show that is the biggest racing industry show of the world is usually in December. And they had to cancel because of coronavirus, because it it is a show that has like 50 or 60,000 people. And when that canceled, actually, my brother and I worked together and we had a trade show Um, and in live in person, you know, whether you agree or disagree our audience is what is who they are. And it was very successful, but anyway, how they felt about it. It's awesome. So when we sit down at Thanksgiving or Easter, or just hanging out as a family by the pool, we have something to talk about. My dad might see some cool part and he can talk to me about it. And and I think before that, that, you know, my dad and I love each other, but we didn't really have anything to talk about. He didn't know what I did. He couldn't relate to me and I'm a girl on top of it. So to, to have this connection and knowing a lot of the same people is it's really strengthened the relationship between all three of us. So it's my dad and my brother and me. We've just become so much tighter because because of the involvement in racing. It's really a lifestyle more than anything else. Yeah, absolutely. And you hit on something that um, was was basically my second follow up question, which is as a woman in the industry, um, I imagine that's not, and maybe this is my own ignorance and I'll, I'll completely own that, but I imagine that's not terribly common. Uh, <laughs> have there been, have there been yeah. things that, that have popped up in that way? Have there, you know, uh, you know, things that you've experienced because of that? Yeah. It, you know, it's, it's actually, it's, a, it's really funny. Cause I always make a joke when we talk about that big racing trade show and there's like 50,000 people there and it's like, yeah, you know, all 12 of us women, you know, <laughs> and I don't usually lead with the, with the woman thing. I just don't, I'm just sure. a person and I just yeah. happen to be a woman, but, um, it, it really goes back to when I first started this business and I, I was like, who's going to, I wanted to write tech articles, but I was like, who's going to listen to me. I mean, I'm nobody again, never changed my own oil. Like I'm, I'm nobody, but I went to my first digital marketing conference. And when I was there, this was back in like 2014, they were talking about how video was going to be like the thing that it was the thing that was going to be the driver for all marketing moving forward. There were all these stats, like, you know, 85% of the internet is going to be video by 2020 or whatever it was. And I I came back from that and I was like, oh my gosh, I want video. I I, want to have video so we can, you know, really, really promote our business. Thing is, I couldn't get any of the guys to get on camera. So I had a choice to make. And uh, 
And, and during that, I talked to a manufacturer and he and I were on the phone and, and he actually pointed out another company it was like a motorcycle parts company and take a look at their videos and what they're doing. So again, I didn't even know what to do a video on. I just know I wanted video. And I took a look at some of theirs and they were just doing like product spotlights and stuff. And, and I told him, I said, you know, Hey, I mean, I'm, I'm concerned. I mean, number one, I'm a woman. Number two, I'm, I'm uh, like, you know, I'm not like thin and perfect and beautiful and I'm older and, and he's like, he goes, Kate, he goes, you need to stop right there. He goes, think about it this way. Because men listen to women because from the time they're born, they listen to their mothers. Then they listen to their girlfriends. Then they listen to their wives. And then if they have daughters, they listen to their daughters. Men listen to women. So go with that. And empowered by that, I thought, you know what? I just, I just flipped the script and I said, you know what? I'm, I'm going to joke around about being the slightly overweight middle-aged woman selling race car parts. And the thing is, when you watch my videos, you know, well, heck, nobody hired her to be the spokesmodel. Yeah. So I automatically bring authority because I don't look perfect. I don't look like I was a model that was hired for that position. And, and I just ran with it. And video was the game changer of game changers. And I started with an iPhone and, you know, obviously I've, I've, I've stepped up my cameras over the years and I, I interview manufacturers and, and people, people know me and respect me. I've never, ever had pushback because I am a woman. And if anything, because of the male centric kind of uh, it's, it's such a male centric and I don't mean that in a bad way. I'm just saying that my 94% of my audience is men. Sure. Period. You know, and yes, there are women who work in a lot of times when you call a racing parts manufacturer, the women are answering the phone and they're doing the accounting and the men are the, the tech guys. And, and that's perfectly fine. It is what it is. But I think it was actually an advantage because when I called some of these companies and said, hey, you know, I'm I'm doing this thing where I'm selling race car parts online and I want to be a dealer. They knew we, you know, as we talked that I wasn't just like another race car driver setting up some pretend racing business so he could get a deal on parts. Mm. It took me seriously as a business owner. And I got, I would get dealership after dealership after dealership. And I would like tell my boyfriend, Oh, Hey, you know, um, I just became a dealer for, you know, this such and such company. And, um, and I guess I'm like WD and, and they're, shaking their heads going, do you know what that is? And I was like, well, no, I don't know. I mean, no, not really. And <laughs> which is warehouse distributor, which you're getting like some of the deepest deals ever. You're like, you do not even understand. Like nobody gets that. Right. How do you do this? And I'm like, I don't know. I just call them and tell them what I'm doing and ask if I can be a dealer. <laughs> so, so honestly, um, Anyway, it's very frustrating to me, to the people that talk about the disadvantages of being a woman, sure. because truthfully, it's such an advantage in so many different ways. Yeah, you talked about kind of the authority that comes with it, but you also talked to the authenticity of yourself and how that really, it sounds like really played a role in not only just being being able to break into the business, but also to build those relationships. I mean, cause that's really what you're talking about is like that authenticity is, was building those relationships with those, with those folks who then now, yeah, all of a sudden you're a warehouse distributor and you are getting the deals that, like you said, maybe some of the people who aren't a as committed or B, uh, you know, as, as interested in, in really providing the service that you're doing, uh, they're not doing that. So of course the people are going to see through that and they're going to see that authenticity shine through. 
Yeah, um, it makes a big difference. And and I think setting myself apart by doing videos, then I, at, at some point, you know, there are people who told me no along the way. And I always had a strategy that, okay, if I call, you know, some kind of a manufacturer that sells this part, that if they tell me no, well, my next call is to their biggest competitor. And that's, then I would get that. And interestingly enough, a couple of years into doing video or a year into doing video or, you know, doing my show every single week and all of this, uh, all of a sudden I like, there was one of those that told me no, that reached out to me and they said, yeah, um, I, I noticed that you're talking about this. I mean, um, would you maybe like to do like a video on our stuff? And I was like, well, you guys told me no a long time ago. I mean, sure, you know, I, you got a great product. We can work together. So it really turned around instead of me chasing. Now it really did turn around. And, and, and still, I mean, if there are people that don't know about me and I meet them for the first time and we just come together on stuff, but I, I just don't chase it quite as hard as I used to, but it definitely attracts more manufacturers who want to work with me. I started with like 30 products products in 2014. And now we're over 800 products on the website with about maybe five or six um, companies with one of them being my dad, you know, <laughs> five or six companies. And now I, I think I'm direct with like 50 or 60 different manufacturers. Right. Mm -hmm. Crazy. That's, that's amazing. I mean, and really like I, I, a very strong growth in really a very small amount of time. I mean, when you really think about it, especially you consider the last year and kind of what you mentioned kind of personally what that had done. I'm curious if that had any, you're, you know, online, you are doing videos. I imagine you're able to do pretty much everything that you needed to do, but was there, was there impact from the coronavirus that impacted uh, any of your, any of kind of the day-to-day -day work? Uh, sure. Yeah. I mean, obviously when this first happened, you know, there was just this massive, we were all afraid, you know, I mean, none of us really knew we didn't have enough information. Um, then the entire world shut down. And if racers aren't racing, then they don't need to change their oil. They don't need to change sure. their spark plugs. I mean, I don't want them to crash and have to replace that kind of stuff, but they really don't need any of that. So in March of last year, Oh yeah. I mean, it took a nosedive and, and obviously lots of fear just personally, you know, me and my assistant, we had a deal. Like if either of us had the flu like symptoms, like stay home, we'll, we'll, we'll yeah. figure it out, you know, with, with that, the other way it had impacted is one of the most powerful things with the videos is of course I do a lot on my own or, or I've got my show with the engine builder with my boyfriend, but, uh, but a big piece of this that really gained my authority was going to that big trade show each year and interviewing my manufacturers. And just me standing next to them, it actually added, it, that gave me the authority, like, Again, wow, she's important yeah. enough that they'll stop and talk with her, you know? So I wasn't able to do that, which is one of the reasons why I decided to have the trade show, but then I was a trade show organizer. And so I didn't get to do all of the things that I really wanted to do. Sure. Um, but honestly, in the end, what really happened though, is that level of fear when everything was shut down, sure. It, it was shut down for a couple of weeks, but in April of last year, racing was one of the very few things that could take place. And it transformed the industry because there were a lot of races that were done without fans, but then streaming services came in and recorded those races and they were selling the pay-per-views and stuff because racers want to race. And, and I think, you know, for there's different levels. I mean, racing really is a lifestyle and the people take it incredibly seriously, but you're still going to have the hobbyists, the ones that have a boat, you know, and if they're not super serious and 
you know, they're not chasing points and things. There could be a weekend where they say, yeah, you know, it's really nice outside. You know what? Start going racing. Let's like, let's maybe take out the boat. Well, because now racing from week to week, you didn't know if it could even happen. I think a lot of those hobbyist racers really doubled down and said, you know what? I'm going to race every race that I can possibly go to because it could be take, I can take the boat out anytime, but I may not be able to race next week. So I'm going to, and there with all of the money that's been pumped into this economy, uh, honestly, our sales took off like absolutely crazy, absolutely crazy. And it hasn't stopped. Um, It's absolutely insane. Absolutely insane. Of course, then we have shortages and that's a whole nother deal. But uh, I've actively sought out, you know, just trying to get products in and working hard at that. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) which, yeah, and I imagine there are pieces from warehouses and other things that also probably took some delays and and, and things like that because of because of shutdowns and, and all of that. So, yeah, I imagine there's a there's a nice little domino effect that probably happened a little bit there. Yeah, you see it so much, especially with the rising, like the rising steel prices that normally we would see prices. Prices are normally set like in about November, because, again, that that big trade show is a big, big deal, Um, because that's when all the new products come out in December, because that's the end of race season. The new products come out. So then we've got the new pricing for the year. So 2021 pricing is usually released in, you know, end of November, beginning of December. And we can all change our price list. Well, one thing I'm glad of is I don't have a physical catalog. It's something that I've wanted for a long time, but I'm glad I don't have it because on a weekly basis, I'm getting notifications from my manufacturers. Hey, didn't want to do this, but plastic is up or steel is up or whatever the case may be. And I'm seeing price increase after price increase, not from the same manufacturers, but from different ones. And so we are constantly updating our prices. It's, it is a craziness that is incredibly difficult to manage, but you know, we're just all doing our best. That's all we can do. And it sounds like the demand is still there. So it's, I'm sure there's a little bit offset by that, but it's still tough. Like it's not, it's not, you're not excited to raise prices necessarily. Uh, no you know, relationships with folks and no, no, it, it definitely. And, and nobody's gouging anybody. It's just when right. your raw materials go up, what can you do? You know, and and it's just it's way on up. I mean, we're on the end side of that supply chain, but yeah, I don't blame them. I mean, you can't sure. you can't. I mean, rule number one in business is don't lose money. I mean, right. that's you, you can't make products just because they're it's fun right. and be upside down in it. Yeah. It's not sustainable in that way. No. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. You mentioned kind of the end of race season being December and uh, you know, those of us that that may not be as familiar, especially with kind of the, the inner workings of the uh, race seasons of the things we don't see on TV specifically. Um, but I'm curious because my assumption would be that I'm, I would imagine that even in December and January, you may have some smaller things, especially in places that can handle it. Obviously, a lot of the country weather-wise, maybe that's not, maybe that doesn't work. But I would imagine like, especially in Southern areas and, and you know, uh, California, Texas, those types of places, you probably could do things year round. But I imagine there is maybe a little bit of a lull um, kind of towards the end of December. Would that be accurate? 
Yeah, it's it's very cyclical because you know we are almost year round at this point. Right. You're absolutely right. And it and it's almost it's it's really frustrating to a lot of folks because it used to be, you know, hey, you know, April, May, you kind of start, you kind of end at the end of October, then you know, that's it. So in a lot of like weekly racing, that may be the case. But now we have all these special events and speed weeks and all this craziness. But really the cycle is, is that at least by December, there's one major race in the middle of December, but generally speaking by December, most of the regular stuff is done. And so guys are building their race cars. So depending on the area of the country, they could be building their race cars in December and January and maybe even into February, you know, up North, unless they're coming down to speed weeks in Florida in January. So there's a big rush to, there's a certain, certain products that you're going to sell early, you know, while somebody's building a car and then during race season, you know, if they've got to replace something, there's that, but mostly it's going to be the maintenance items or the improvement items. And, and it is cycle. It's cyclical. It's cyclical on a weekly basis. My sales are, it's like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I mean, it's every single week and that's how the year goes too. And it's January, February, March, you know, it's really good at the very beginning of the year. And then it kind of steadies out. And then um, it used to drop off a cliff in October as it used to say that. And I'd be like, oh my God, people don't like me anymore, but it really was and now it's really even stabilized through there. There's so much more racing and I, I don't even know why there's more racing, but there, but there is. Yeah. When you met that first, I, I take a swing here, uh, <laughs> that first October or that first time that it dropped off. Yeah. I mean, what you mentioned like, Oh, being a little like nervous about that, but did you, did you have talks with folks in the industry? Like, Hey, did you know it was cyclical at that point? Were you, were you optimistic or were you like, Hey, what is happening here? Yeah. I mean, I just, it was, it was very, it was solved very, very quickly when I was talking to my my boyfriend and I was like, oh my God, I can't believe this. I mean, what's happening to people, you know, did, did I make somebody mad or, or why aren't people buying from me anymore? And he's like, um, it's October. Um, this is what happens. <laughs> so, you know, because of course they see it in their business. It really, it, it's every, it's everybody in the business is going to see that same kind of a lull. And yeah. yeah. So it, yeah, it was, it was a surprise the first time and, and it was scary, honestly. Sure. And then it, when it happened the second year, you know, it was a little bit less scary, but I was like, okay, what can I do? You know, maybe I can make some videos or something, you know? And um, after that, it's like, okay, uh, I'm just going to accept it. And, and it's, and it's fine. It's, and it's not terrible. Um, it, it, and, and I actually, now my, my lows are still higher, you know, every, when I compare, um, when I compare months and when I compare sales, I don't compare January to February. I compare January to last year's January. I compare February to last year's February. So that's the only way to manage my business and really understand or, or be able to track what's going on. And are we doing, you know, are we doing better or worse or, or what have you? Yeah. I really like that analytic thought that goes into that because I think that what you would find is most people are doing the, the, the other part, right? They're saying, Oh, my January was low. Why was my January low? Why was my, my February higher, et cetera. And in some businesses that maybe makes sense um, in my 
occupation, which is not business related. I work at an institution of, um, of higher education. And, but I also have to run numbers of people served and things like that. And I look at that in, in some ways in, in kind of the similar way to you. I want to know year to year and I have to take into account what took place that year. But, if, but if, because if I look at April, I know it's going to be higher than January because people are in school and they're about to, like, it's about to end. Like, I know that the people that we're serving is going to be higher. So it wouldn't make sense to, to look at that. So I, I, I like that your kind of mindset went to, well, I really need to look at kind of the similar areas that I can manage versus looking at these times of, of where that cycle hits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's really important because uh, otherwise you would just make yourself, um, you just, you can spin yourself out on, on stuff yeah. that you have absolutely no control over. Right. Yeah. So uh, going all the way back to the beginning of, <laughs> of the podcast, you had mentioned that you had gone to school for interior design. What was kind of the original plan with that? Or, or were, were you working in that area when you decided to kind of switch? Yeah, it's yes, I was working in the area. Um, it was it was kind of an inspiration because I tend to be technical and I'm creative. So I felt that interior design would be a really good choice. And I had actually worked for an interior designer and I had helped out and I was and, and it's not about the pretty stuff as as much as the more of there's a lot more to it, you know, the space planning and basically problem solving is really problem solving is, is my wheelhouse. And, but I had to admit something. I, when I went from architecture and I was working in an architectural firm that did a lot of uh, grocery store remodels. I mean, you don't really use a lot of, you know, you don't use a lot of creativity there because you're just following a program. But then I did get a job for a commercial interior designer. And it's actually the, the most award-winning interior designer in Idaho or pretty, pretty much in the Pacific Northwest. And at one point I'd never really worked with other interior designers like that. And at one point I really, you know, and I had the opportunity to come to the trade show, but I also had to really examine myself and what I was really good at is I'm really good at project management. That's, Mm. and, and I, no matter what job I'm in, I end up in sales and marketing in some way. It just, it's like water seeks its own level. But when it really came down to raw talent, I had to admit to myself that there were, I was working with designers that were just brilliant, that just had those those wild, creative, cool ideas. And that, that no matter how hard I worked, I would never have that talent. And, and, and it, it wasn't terrible. So I don't want to sound like sure, I'm, I'm absolutely no. terrible, but, but I, uh, but I know I didn't have the talent. And so this also gave me another opportunity just to see, well, Hey, I'm just going to use those sales and marketing and project management skills, take them to the trade show. And that's of course what I brought over to um, over to the, to the racing, you know, crate insider. Um, but it is funny cause I still get a niche for like, or, you know, like I just want to do some design every once in a while. So I do have another side gig too, that I didn't tell you about. <laughs> so I live in townhouses. I actually rent my townhouse, but I like it so much, but I was tired of having crappy neighbors. So last in, in 2020, I rented the apartment next to me or townhouse next to me and turned it into an Airbnb. Yeah. Wow. Even and that was obviously before lockdowns sure. and <laughs> it turned out really good. And it turned out so good that I then started renting the one on the other side of me. So I'm, then I was able to design and be able to do Airbnb. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun. 
I think what you were speaking to at the beginning when you were talking about, I, I think there is a misconception of what interior design is. And a lot of people think that it's interior decorating, which is not the case. Um, like that is not close to it even really. Um, it is about, it is about the space. It's about, you know, what the functionality, all of that stuff. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's, I think that's really cool that you were able to find uh, a way to kind of keep that uh, with the Airbnb and and be able to do some of that. Um, and it sounds like you, you, you had, your passion and kind of your, your, what you, you described it as talent, but your talent kind of falls more on that project management, that sales and marketing side. I'm curious what you've learned, whether it's through, um, through Crate Insider or, or trade shows or whatever, but what you've learned about marketing from being kind of from, from building your own business. Oh my God. Marketing is absolutely my passion. I love digital marketing. Uh, I'm a, if you've ever been taking like the strengths finder quiz or, yep. or test, my number one thing is learning. And yep. I constantly, the, the thing I love about digital marketing, I don't love that it always changes. There's, there's a lot to it, but I'm always constantly learning, you know, new ways of pretty much marketing is, is really communicating. And then I think a difference between sales and a difference between marketing, marketing is like one to many, you know, getting the message out there is what I think of as marketing. And I, I love it. You know, I really do, whether it's through video or our posts and we've got lots of social media accounts, which can be challenging sometimes. Um, but then sales is a whole different thing. And I feel like sales is problem solving. And, you know, I get calls all the time where, you know, Hey, what, what is, you know, I need such and such and such and such. Well, Hey, I don't have that, but let me connect you to the person who can, you know, it's about connecting a problem with a solution is problem and solution. And so that's where project management meets sales. And those two go together, but marketing is a message and that, and getting that message out there. And, and I love just, there's always new ways or, or new styles and, and some, some things I adopt and some things I don't. And I think the most important part is being connected to your audience. And what does your audience want? I mean, we've been doing Instagram forever and we just don't have anybody over there really. I mean, not in comparison to our, our audiences on Facebook. So we're going to be on Facebook. You know, we're, we're, I'm a, I will meet you where you are is sure. really the biggest message that I would have to say about marketing. Yeah. Knowing knowing how to reach your audience is mm -hmm. so important. And if you do it one way, like you said, if you're doing it one way, you're not going to reach a kind of the maximum of folks that you can, but you may be missing, you know, key people. You may be turning people off because you're like, Hey, I can't find you. I can't, I can't, you're not speaking to me. Yeah. I think you're right. Like just knowing your audience is, is just so crucial in that. And then obviously there's the technical aspects on a website and sure. being able to really, you know, I lead with content marketing. Content marketing is my thing. So it's not just, I didn't just like create a website, throw a bunch of parts on there and say, Hey, you know, Hey, have at it. You know, we do a lot of, we found video is better than words, but you need words because Google understands words. And our primary way that people find us is by doing a Google search. And I don't do anything. I don't believe in doing anything that's that's cheating or, you know, like the next new thing or anything like that. I just want to lead with value. I want to put out a valuable product and just have that integrity of, of how I'm going to do my content marketing. It's not about just selling something to right. people, obviously. I mean, I have to make money, I mean, for sure, but it's not about that. It's not trying to be like the used car salesman kind of version of the internet. It's the, Hey, 
here's, here's this product. You may not have heard of it. This is why you might need it or, or not, you know, and here's the pros and the cons. And, and we try to put that out there just to, to have a more educated and informed audience. I do this every day, all day long. And most of the, my customers, they've got full-time jobs. They don't have the opportunity to spend eight hours a day to looking at race car parts for their race car. And at some point they have to put them in, you know, install them. They have to order them and do all of that. Whereas I have the opportunity to invest that time and the resources to dig into the most critical information and, and be able to get that to the audience. And they appreciate that very much. Yeah. That relationship, that reliability, that investment, that trust, all of that plays a role in that for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, What, advice would you have for someone who is, uh, you know, my, my audience, when we talk about, uh, and I think that everything you've said is, is very applicable. I know you were a little worried when we first started, like, is this going to kind of speak to my audience? But my audience, I think, uh, from what I know of them is that they're really just looking for, you know, different ways to find bliss in their lives, the different ways to, to, to find that joy. I'm curious if you have advice for folks who might be a little scared to take that leap into uh, entrepreneurship or something completely brand new or, or any of that. Do you have advice on how people can, can a do that and be find joy and, and happiness in doing something like that? Well, I find joy in taking on a challenge and, and I would say probably, I think what holds most people back is the fear of failure and the fear of failure or the fear of being judged But once you can go beyond that, you know, once you can flip a script, anytime you can flip a script and, you know, like when I went back to the video and talked about, Hey, you know what? I'm a slightly overweight middle-aged woman selling race car parts, you know? And if I was able to laugh at myself and I was the first one to do it, there's nobody that could have hurt my feelings after that. There's so many fears about the trolls out there and they exist. I mean, they're, they're out there, but why are you going to let someone who has no value in your life? hold you back from the dreams that you have for yourself. What, why would you let them win? And, and I, yeah, I, I think trying something out, I think allowing yourself to fail as well, because we didn't talk about any of the failures along the way, but you know what, I'll try something. And if it works great and we'll, we'll go that direction. If it doesn't, then I don't take that as a personal, like, oh my gosh, I suck. I'm a terrible person just because I'm not a talented designer or just because I created a course that didn't sell. That doesn't make me, if I'm not a failure, Right. I just have something that wasn't, that didn't win. Okay. All right. Let's move on to the next thing. There's a thousand million different choices out there. And so I I think try stuff out, almost try to find that failure point. Right. And if you can find that failure point, you know how far you can go. And, and I used to say, like, when I would go skiing, I went skiing the first time and, you know, you fall about a thousand times. But that second time, you know, here I am on the bunny hill and, you know, I mastered that bunny hill. You know, I was I was that. And then afterwards, I was like, you know what? That's really not that good of an accomplishment, because if I didn't even fall once, I didn't really push myself hard enough. And so it was after that, like going skiing and I'm still not a great skier, but I would, I would push myself. And, and if I didn't have at least one Epic fall, then I feel like I didn't, I didn't try hard enough. Same time. I'm back then. I was like, um, I'd be going down the mountain going like, I have no health insurance. I have no health insurance. I have no health insurance. <laughs> sure. you know? so, so I didn't want to get hurt. I mean, I don't want to get hurt. Right. I, I just want to push 
in until that point. And, and, and I, I guess that would be just give something a try. You yeah. can try, if you fail, move on, you know, all right, that didn't work. What will let's move yeah. on to the next thing. And that failure teaches us so much. And that's something I've been talking with a lot of my guests about that, that failure really can be that point where you go, okay, well, I know, I know what not to do, right? Which is, I think, just as valuable as knowing what to do, which is kind of what you're talking about. Like taking on that challenge is, is just as valuable as, um, you know, kind of mastering something, right? And, and sometimes more valuable because you can, because then, then there's a new path that's opened up. So I think that that's uh, brilliant, frankly. Um, and I don't love to fail. And all sure. I'm saying is don't, I think it's fear of failure that holds people back more than, more than anything else. Yeah. But, but there's something else that I've learned along this way too. And I found that the biggest mistakes that I make in life or as an entrepreneur is when I don't even know what questions to ask. When I don't even, when there is, there is nothing that I could have Google searched to find out to that would have prevented anything for me right. and it, from making an error or a mistake or whatever you want to call that. And, and I think that's really where the learning points come. You can't, you also can't learn your way out of things. So I think you have to, there's a piece of this you just have to do. So sure. you, starting a blog is super easy. There's a bazillion ways of starting a website or whatever, but it's once you start writing that then you're, then you can start saying, oh, okay, well, how do I get more people to see my content? Oh, now I've got something I can type into Google. You know, you will come upon questions that you wouldn't even know to ask until you're already in it and you're on the path. You got to get on the path before you can, before you can go anything anywhere, anywhere with that. Yeah, that makes sense. And uh, we talked, we started this podcast by saying kind of take the leap, right? That's the whole point of, uh, we talked about like the analogy of the entrepreneur building on the way down and, and you mm -hmm. have to take that leap before, before you can do anything that's, that's going to kind of give you that satisfaction in life. Yeah. And, and let that path reveal itself. The funny yeah. thing is, is that with, um, with Create Insider, I honestly thought that that website, we had a few different parts. It was going to be a forum and we were going to do tech articles and I would sell advertising. That was, that was what that website was going to be. Yeah. And then one of my partners was like, well, you know, we could go ahead and add a store. And I was like, oh, okay, well, we'll, we'll do that. Well, the store took off. So that's the path that we followed. And the forum didn't, I mean, forums had their day. We, we thought we could bring something over, but you know, you try it and you say, you know what? Okay. That's not as effective as I thought. So let's go ahead and pull a forum. Let's double down on the, on the, on the, uh, on the e-commerce side of things. And that's what I mean by really following the path that's in front of you and not trying to force. I've never tried to force that this is my, this is my vision for this business. And this is what we're going to do. Instead, I lead the, I follow the path that's in front of us. We, you know, just like going live and that became a thing. Now that's a thing. And, you know, I didn't plan that, but there's right. a lot of things I didn't plan. I just doubled down on the things that were successful. Right. Uh, I think that that's amazing advice. Like that, that double down is and and again, it's, you knew it was successful because of both the successes and what didn't work. And I think that that's, like I said, equally important. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure, Kate. Uh, thank you so much for, for speaking with me today. Um, is there anything that you would like to promote? 
you know, if you, if people just want to, if they're interested in any of those things that we talked about, you can go to my website, katedillon.com. If you click on the about, it actually has links to all of the different businesses that, um, that I'm a part of and feel free to feel free to click on those and join me. Or if you have any questions, you're welcome to, to reach out, shoot an email to my, my way and, and, uh, happy, happy to connect or provide any advice. Well, with the amount of side gigs you have going on, you're probably going to need about three or four about pages uh, soon <laughs> enough. But uh, that's that's really great. We'll make sure that that the website is in the show notes as well. Uh, Kate, thank you so much again for coming on, and uh, we'll see you next time. Sounds good. Thank you for having me. You can find what's your bliss at anythingbutcredible.com, and on all major podcast platforms, including Apple, Spotify, Google, and Stitcher. Please follow on Twitter and Instagram at YourBlissPod and like What's Your Bliss on Facebook. If you have any questions for me or if you'd like to be a guest or advertise on the podcast, please email me at YourBlissPodcast at gmail.com. Please check out AnythingButCredible.com to find all the additional awesome content and podcasts including Offended, Movie Merge, Going Off Topic, and of course the Anything But Credible podcast. <laughs>